All right, welcome back to the 90th percentile. I'm your host, Jeff Ponce, one of the prospect writers here at Baseball America. I'm excited here in season two. This is our first repeat guest. One of my favorite people out there in the baseball sphere. I think one of the most talented evaluators. Obviously, evaluators doesn't work for a team, but I don't think that actually matters whether you work for a team or not. That's Matt Pajak of Luden Sports. We had him on last year. I thought it was probably one of our most interesting podcasts that we did. So, Matt, thank you. Welcome back to the podcast, man. Uh, how you been? Oh, man, I've been great. I'm, I'm so excited to get back on with a fellow New Englander. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Even though you're out in Colorado now and getting that that sunshine snow where we got the gloomy, the gloomy snow coming in March after having a fairly warm winter, man. I don't know what the heck that's all about. But you already told me I can't complain about that. You said the same. Yeah. Experience, so no big that's deal. It. I'm relocated and reunited with snow. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should be going to warmer places. What's going on with going to Colorado, man? Come on. Yeah. Anyway, I want to get into your background a little bit, introduce yourself to the people, sort of how you got started in this space. We'll get into some of the more you know innovative things that you've been doing in terms of evaluation, particularly evaluating the athletic side of things in baseball, which I think is somewhat under-talked about, under-explored maybe, but sort of give us the rundown, the background on how you got into this, who you are, and what led you to this point. Yeah, born and raised in uh, Western Massachusetts, uh, born and raised a Red Sox fan in the curse era. So, you know, I, I remember vividly staying up late at night uh, and watching Aaron Boone walk off in 2003 uh, in just absolute heartbreak because everyone loved the idiots that year. Um, you know, played baseball growing up and then, you know, grew up going to the Cape Cod Baseball League every summer watching games, getting autographs. Uh, I remember, you know, Danny Espinoza and, you know, a whole bunch of guys that came through the Cape in the couple of years that I, that I remember out there and just really falling in love with the game in a very organic and wholesome way. Um, now that I've been around the game for the past five or six years, like never played travel baseball, never really got into any of the, you know, in, intensities of, of amateur baseball. It was just very like, oh, I'm going to this, Chatham's baseball game. We're going to sit on a blanket. Um, if we happen to pass, you know, that the entrance will drop $5 in the bucket for a program. Um, so did that. And then that led me to actually interning with the Cape Cod baseball league for two summers. And then, uh, really fell in love with just being around the ballpark. So, you know, I was with the Harwich Mariners for my first summer, flipping burgers, um, selling root beer floats, collecting raffle tickets, making sure that nobody was, uh, you know, parking where they shouldn't be parking. Um, had my clipboard and had to turn Skybolt's mom away pretty much every other night. No, you can't <laughs> park it. <laughs> um, so that was kind of where it all started. And then it kind of rolled into a, a last second right around Christmas 2015. Um, internship with USA Baseball started February 2016. Uh, was there for five or six years, ended up, you know, working on the prospect development pipeline uh, and really just getting curious about um, all of the athletic data that we we're collecting as part of that program and how it impacts what you see on the field. So uh, it was right around 2020, really dove in for the first time and found that there were some really strong correlations to performance. Um, and it was at that point that I had created basically an objective way to grade raw athleticism um in a meaningful way where you know it it really is responsible for 60 percent of the physical tools you know arm strength speed and you know impact with the bat so um that was kind of groundbreaking and from there i mean that's that's really kind of where the the origin of what has become load in sports uh and the load and score came from um but yeah now you know, two years into loading sports, living in Denver, also uh, doing some work with Slammers Baseball out here as the uh, director of performance analytics and really excited to kind of share all the different things going on uh, in 2023. So let's talk a little bit about sort of the, the loading sports evaluation process. I think this is really interesting. It's sort of 
when I was first introduced to it um, by sort of a third party, a mutual friend of ours, Nathaniel Plotz uh, with XL Sports, um, you know, I sort of learned a little bit about things that maybe I was overlooking as an evaluator. You know, I've been rating, ranking prospects, you know, since 2015 or whatever in the public space. Um, it was right before I think I came over to Baseball America. I started to get introduced to sort of the athletic testing and, you know, saw some of the results. And I remember the first thing that I read, and it's funny because this really came to fruition. We'll talk about this later. And I know I talked about this last year, but, and it's funny because last year it hadn't even fully like, you know, materialized yet, but it was a piece that you had written and it was comparing sort of, you know, in the vessel to discussing baseball athleticism. And the two players that you discussed were Jordan Adams. And I think everybody knew Jordan Adams, knew the story. Hey, he's, you know, a, a D1 football commit and a legit receiver. We've seen he went viral for dunking on somebody in gym class, all that stuff. And it was like, no, but like there's better baseball athletes than this guy. Johnny DeLuca being one who's now, you know, was of Oregon, uh, now with the Los Angeles Dodgers, had a breakout season in 2022 gets onto the 40 man roster. And like, it was just a really interesting concept in terms of how it was presented and, you know, how you guys did your testing and just learning more about that. So I think that sort of led me down this path and why I find this stuff to be so important and so interesting. And as you said, groundbreaking, but there's a really long intro, but like take us through sort of like the, the loading sports evaluation process, some of the things you're looking at and like the type of test, et cetera, that you put, you put some athletes. Yeah, so I, and I'll I'll kind of start with a little philosophical thing here off the bat. Um, is just like the simplification of things. I think is something that's been really important for me because I'm I'm interested in so many things. Right, like you you bring something up and it's like oh I want to learn about that whether it's music or art or baseball or football or you get me reading. I'm reading a book on Arsenal, the the soccer club right now. It's just awesome. like walk me into a bookstore and who knows what I'm going to leave with. Um. But when you have, when your attention's kind of going in all these different directions, you've got to find ways to simplify things, right? So it's like, I started looking at the performance data that we were collecting at USA Baseball. And it was like, we were doing a broad jump. We were doing a counter movement jump uh, three times, like three rebound jumps, right? Uh, we're doing single leg jumps. We're doing a 30 yard sprint with a 10 yard split. And we're getting 14 yards of gate analysis. We're doing an agility test. And I was sitting there and... I was going through all of the different things that we were doing. And, and honestly, the first person who tipped me to it um, of it being repetitive, and I was seeing it with my own eyes in 2020, was Brandon McDaniel, who's the vice president of uh, sport performance for the Dodgers. He was like, I think a lot of the things that you guys are doing with this PDP evaluation are repetitive. And I was like, at the time, you know, I'm, it's 2019. I, I didn't really know what that meant. Um, but then when I was into the data, it was like, yes, the broad jump correlates to exit velocity and the counter movement jump correlates to exit velocity. If you jump really well on one leg, that also correlates to exit velocity. So it's pretty much just like, okay, it's a million different ways to look at lower half power output. Right. So, um, the first thing, you know, when coming up with the load in sports evaluation was really just like, how do we make this as brutally efficient as possible so that, one, you're lowering the exertion for the athlete, and two, you're not stealing more of their time for no reason. So the load in sports evaluation is really just three rebound jumps, which we use instead of just one vertical jump because we can. Um, I think force plates are uber popular right now in the sport. I think they're uber popular in a number of different sports. There are some limitations to using a force plate, and I think my introduction into sports science through the OptiJump system, which was an optical system that allowed for multiple jumps, really paved the way for me looking at it through that lens, right? So I think there's a ton of value you can get out of a single jump. Um, I found tremendous value in three rebound jump test. You also get the ground contact time in between. Um, and I think when you look at it that way, you're seeing, okay, here's one guy who's jumping an average of 22 inches on his three rebound jumps and his ground contact time is 0.4 seconds. And here's another one whose ground contact time is 0.2 seconds. You get a little bit of a better idea of like, okay, that guy's a lot twitchier than that guy. They're both getting up to the same height. One's doing it half the time on the in-between. So um, really starting to kind of look into elasticity 
And then ultimately, and we'll get into this later, being able to track that from touch point to touch point, you know, that could be an indicator of fatigue. And uh, it, it then has applications in monitoring athlete health. So kind of getting all the way back to it, uh, the load and evaluation process, it's a three rebound jump test. You get the weight of the athlete and then they run either a 20 or a 30 yard sprint at this point. Uh, we get a power, a quickness, a speed, and a load and score, all of which are on a very simple zero to 12. We've got a male and a female scale, uh, and it's universal. So it's not, you know, just baseball, it's any sport. We found some really fascinating things um, when testing across sports. Um, like, so the best athletes play every sport. It's not like the best athletes are playing one sport and another sport. It's, you know, I'll just give an example. There's a high school we're working with here in Denver, and we work with the entire athletic department. And the top five athletes um, that we tested at their spring combine, one is a baseball player going to Notre Dame. Uh, you've got three girls soccer players. One of them's going to South Carolina. One of them's going to Kansas State. One of them's going to Santa Clara. And the fifth best one was a girls golfer who was on a uh, the state championship team in the spring as, I believe, a sophomore. Um, and she had the lowest score of the three scores that they took at the state championship tournament where they won. Um, so, I mean, if that isn't signal enough for – uh, the universe, the universalness of the loaded sports evaluation. Um, I don't know. I get excited every time. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's wild. And, and, that, and so another thing that you guys sort of have coming down the pipeline here um, is the, the, the loaded sports performance lab app. And you, you kind of broke it down here in terms of like, you know, it, it's, you know, right in your pocket, you sort of have this lab. We've seen app, you know, apps that, provide sort of this you know groundbreaking ability and like the palm of your hand and your phone so talk me through what that is i know it's i think about to hit the market and you know sort of what it's measuring what you can do with it what the value of is it you know etc yeah so uh it's performance lab in your pocket um it's any ios device whether it's an ipad or an iphone that has a pro or a pro max distinction uh it's compatible with it's going to be affordable and super easy to use. All right. So I'm looking at this through the lens of my experience using sports performance technology over the past five, six years where like, okay, I need a proper surface. I need access to this. I need access to that. Okay. I need to train operations bodies to appropriately uh, do this test. Well, what we're doing is we're taking it, we're making it really simple. Um, it's designed for a parent to use. It's designed for a teammate of a 15 year old to be able to jump the teammate of their 15 year old right off their phone. Um, so it's really hard to break. It's really hard to not get good data out of it. Um, and I think that's really for us is, is creating something that's really simple to use, um, streamlined data collection. You can use it anytime, anywhere. So living room, garage, gym, field, wherever. Um, and you can get really good jump data and, um, within it, you've got a vertical jump test. You can do a counter movement jump. You can cue it however you want. So you can do hands on the hip, free swing, whatever. Um, we've got our signature three, re three rebound jump test. We've got single leg jump tests. So you can compare left leg versus right leg. Um, and then, you know, we're working on a couple other tests, doing some tweaks on a broad jump test, which it's, it's accurate about 70% of the time. And honestly, that's, that's not good enough, uh, for the initial release. Um, the tests that are in there, I mean, it's, it's nails, like it's really, really data. Um, and you're able to get power quickness and then you can input run times from, you know, use a stopwatch, use timing gates, whatever. And you can get a loading score instantly on your phone, uh, off of a jump test and inputting your runtime. So, um, really cool on that end. And then being able to, okay, so I did this jump test. What do I do with that information? You know, we've got graphs and trend lines for everything. Um, and again, we've simplified what we're delivering, right? So we're capturing a whole lot more data, which is available on the back end for the sports science professional, but really we're 
sports science for the layman or the layperson, if you will. Um, so we're just giving them metrics that we know matter. So jump height, power, RSI, and that's about it. And as you track these things, you can track the progress in your strength and conditioning. You can track the attrition on your body over the course of a season. And then obviously the one that kind of brought us onto this podcast is the evaluation component and kind of the comparison to like, where do you rank? Right. So, um, you do this jump test, we have a little switch, which gives you a little comparative zone. So you can immediately say, well, okay, I've got 58 load and power points. What does that mean? Click the switch. Okay. You're about seven load and power points off from being in the zone for, you know, an elite college, you know, athlete. Right. So I think that's what a lot of people want to know is like, where am I compared to everyone else? And, you know, we provide that, you know, and then we're also building in, building in a readiness score, which was born of some work that I did with Cardinal Gibbons football um, in Raleigh this past fall, jump tested the varsity football team every Thursday uh, before their games on Friday and provided their coach with a sheet, super simple. It took in the data from the one jump test and it basically using the power in the RSI was able to tell us, okay, where is this guy compared to last week? And we're able to go through a list of here's 50 guys. It took 10, 15 minutes to jump them. Green, 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 yellow, yellow, red. Okay. Those are the three guys you need to talk to what's going on. Okay. It might've been a not great night's sleep. In one case, it was right knee tendonitis and the coach was able to actually scale that kid's workload back for a couple of weeks. And then when he got back into jumping after his workload had been scaled back, you know, his, his performance numbers were back to where they were supposed to be. So, um, a lot of value packed into an app. Again, it's affordable, it's easy to use. Um, and it's, it's universal. So it's, it's something we're really excited about. Yeah. And I think that, uh, it could be a game changer, especially for, you know, a lot of folks that maybe aren't necessarily like, you know, fully introduced to some of these things and, you know, their ability to sort of, you know, track their progression and, and be data driven about it. You know, I think that that's something that seems daunting to a lot of people, but when it's simplified like this, um, you know, it provides a ton of value for sure. And I wanted to make sure that we brought that up because I think that it, you know, could potentially be groundbreaking for you guys. And when you're back on next year for, you know, season three, <laughs> you could talk about all the success you guys have had with it. So, um, you know, I think that's important, but I want to sort of draw back to, you know, the loading score system, how that works. I know you had mentioned sort of in your opening, how it correlates to exit velocity, throwing velocity, and bat speed. And it's like sort of directly from your website as well. Um, and then I think, you know, it'd be interesting to sort of talk about like the load and score plus sort of frame size, you know, and that sort of thing. So talk me through that a little bit, because I find that to be, you know, one of the most interesting things about this is just how it correlates and then like athleticism and size and like, you know, the connection there. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think me go back to 2018, 2017, 2018, and it's like really early renditions of an athlete score. And it's just it has all of these different things in it. Right. So I've got the agility scores in there. It's not correlated to anything. It's all speculation. OK, and I'm getting really excited about like Xavier Edwards. Right. I'm like this guy's a, like a top of the scale athlete based on this early rendition of a score that I was looking at. And Xavier Edwards was a great athlete, but something that I wasn't considering was his size, right? So I've got Xavier, Xavier Edwards as this really good athlete, but also I'm not factoring in that he's, you know, five foot eight, five foot nine, 170 pounds. And yeah, that's kind of, you know, what, it, what his peak is as a player. So in 2020, when I started running regression against, you know, throwing velocity, and um batted ball exit velocities it was okay well i need to find a number that's not just like okay you know this guy's really fast this guy's really quick but also a number that says like you know this guy's powerful because there are plenty of guys in major league baseball and at every level of ball who have a lot of juice and they play a corner because they're not super fast 
and there are plenty of cases where the power score is really high uh, on a load-in score, and maybe the speed score is just about average, right? Um, and I think an example of that in in this draft class is going to be Ralphie Velasquez, who we work with Huntington Beach. We're very familiar with Ralphie, and he's an exceptional jumper for a 235-pound athlete. And yeah, he's he's a load-in six speed, which is average, which is enough. Um, I think for a corner guy, but you know, when you look at the, the power side of things, it's like, yeah, that's where he's going to, that's his bread and butter is his ability to impact the baseball. So you look at Ralphie and, and you see a guy who's 235 pounds in high school and he's not a top, top line runner. That doesn't mean that he doesn't have a certain element to his raw athletic profile. I mean, it's a Hemi under there. So, um, yeah, being able to find that number, that power number, create that power number that pulls in the weight of the athlete, right? And then I think to take it even another step further is, you know, taking in the height and the wingspan of the athlete. I think people know the longer the levers, you know, the more velocity or exit velocity there is. And I think, you know, for some hitters, they run into problems because they're they're levered too long and you know, that leads to swing and misconcerns, whatever that might look like. But the reality is, is that some of those guys in the game today, Aaron Judge, John Carlos Stanton, um, Joey Gallo, they are very tall. They've got long levers. They're at least above average athletes, and they have the highest exit velocities in the game. So when you start to kind of pull all of these things together, you kind of have to start to paint the picture of like, okay, what kind of athlete are we looking at? And then what's their frame size? And I think it's a little bit of a sliding scale where the bigger the frame size, the less raw athleticism you need for impact tools to throw the ball hard, hit the ball hard. And in some rare, you know, scenarios like a Spencer Jones, you've got a double plus size frame and a double plus athlete in the same package. And that's where it gets really special. So, um, I don't know if that answers your question or provides the context you're looking for, but yeah, that's kind of how I frame it. Yeah, I think absolutely. Because I think players that maybe were divisive over the last two, last few drafts, like James Wood, and we've seen how he looked and there's a lot of skills there as well. Um, But a big guy, I think a better athlete than people probably gave him credit for. Um, I think people got too caught up in the strikeouts and prep ball, which is like, whatever, (laughs) honestly, I like, and another guy, it's kind of the same narrative. It was like Jordan Walker. And we're sort of seeing it with Walker now, right? And we're seeing the impact. You know, I know he's, we're seeing the sprint speeds and 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 sort of how those measure out to sort of near elite. Uh, and I don't think he was necessarily built that way. I think that we got so traditional sometimes in baseball where people are just like, big guy, first baseman. Like, it's like there's no, like, in, they don't look at it from like evaluate the individual. It's often like they evaluate the body type and just try to throw it into a bucket. And that was some, one of the things I was going to wonder. So we're talking about bigger athletes, wingspan, some of those things. I feel like in football and in basketball, they're maybe a little bit more ahead of the curve on that stuff than, than baseball. Am I wrong to say that in terms of how they evaluate athletes? I know it's um, skill game maybe and we could talk about skills versus athleticism and that whole thing later but i, yeah, wonder- I think, I think it, it's kind of something where for at least from my i've got a limited scope on on football and basketball just in terms of like knowing people that are in the game but spending time around a high school football program that's had a lot of success this past fall i think you'd be surprised at how enamored coaches are with a player's ability to play football right skill within the game like even when you're talking about linemen right like they had a, a low division one lineman um on that team who they swore by they're like this is the best player on the team he played fullback um he did everything for them and he was a fantastic football player and the best athlete in their program was also d lineman he played defensive tackle and he could jump like you wouldn't believe and he could run and he was 230 pounds and he's not going to play in college. This was his senior year and, and he didn't have the skill to, to continue on. Now, if you develop that kid younger, maybe you're looking at something different, but I think 
just overall, I think it's a, it's more of an American cultural thing where at every level of sport in America, in every sport, right. It doesn't matter if it's baseball, softball, basketball, whatever it is like at the high level, we're incentivized to win. There's a world series. There's a super bowl, right? College sports, the highest level of college sports. There's a national championship. High school, there's a state championship, you know, and then you've got travel sports all the way down where it's like, okay, I'm a 12 year old playing in a tournament this weekend in pick your sport and we need to win. So the coach's mindset is who are the best five players I can put on the court? Who are the best nine players I can put on at eight or nine years old to win this tournament this weekend? So at what point are we giving opportunities to kids who don't have the now skill at eight or nine years old. Right. And then I think that's kind of where a lot of athletes are kind of getting lost in the shuffle where they're so far behind at 13 or 14 because they didn't play 12 months out of the year, their sport, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11 years old. Think about in baseball, that's just so many more competitive at bats. And it's not good for the athlete, but it gives them a leg up over all of the athletes who don't do that. It's really interesting. And I I feel like, and it's funny because we're going to talk about this later, but let's get into it now. You know, as a parent who's gone through it, and I have three kids and two sons, sort of on both ends and a daughter in the middle. And my two sons, in terms of like their build and their athleticism, couldn't be like more different, you know? my older son's very strong, um, not like a super fast kid, etc. And then my younger son's really like the tallest guy in his class. He's also the fastest guy in the field. You know, you notice it when he plays basketball. You notice it when he plays baseball. You know, it's just like things are natural to him. Um, but I always feel like with my oldest son that there was a point where they start to exclude kids that aren't like elite, elite. And he always hit the ball really, really hard because he's a really strong kid. Um, you know, he did certain things well. Caught was a catcher, he could catch. Um, but it hits a point like in Little League where it gets, even in like within a town Little League, is it gets so competitive. And what happened was the town tied everything to travel ball. There's like a travel ball program in this area that they rent the fields out to now on Fridays. And they kind of, or excuse me, on the weekends, and they like they dictate the schedule for the rest of the little league, and it's almost an expectation now that in order to play town little league, you have to play travel ball. And I think like when you and I were playing, I played in, I grew up in a bigger city. We had two little leagues in town, and there were twelve teams. Like not everybody made it, but a good chunk of the baseball players made it, and there was an opportunity to play, and there was sort of this expectation that everybody got opportunities, right? And there were practices and you worked on skill development and all those sort of things. And players got better throughout the year where it feels like now it's like everything has to be done on your own. It was just weird, right? Because we're playing more, but it's there's such a focus on games that I had said it when I was coaching Little League a couple of years ago. And it's the first and only time I'll ever coach Little League team. I said, I'm not going to do it with my kids. And... <laughs> One of the reasons was like, I felt like we should practice three times as much as we play. These kids are eight, nine, 10, 11 years old. They're not at a point where their bodies are physically mature. They're all over the place, you know? And, and, and my whole thing was like, you could look at me, I'm whatever, six feet tall, 200 pounds. And then you could look at an, another guy who's six, five, 250, like, you know, I'm built. And our sons are the same size at this point. Like that's not always going to be the case. And right we get so caught up in like the right now and like what works right now versus like what they could be. Why don't we try to develop all these guys? Like there's, this is a, a story I tell all the time, but we had a kid who was his father, six, five, former college basketball player, you know, good family. And the kid was an unbelievable athlete. He was pitching. And I, and I, he's one of these guys, you watch him. He's like, this kid's tall. He's well synced. You know, he moves well, like, this is the kind of athlete that you want to keep in baseball. And because he wasn't part of this group, he was playing multiple sports. He wasn't a year round guy. He wasn't getting private lessons for pitching and hitting. 
he sort of got left off of these travel all-star teams. And when it was time for me to vote, I voted for him. And I had other coaches kind of confront me about it. And I was like, none of you guys get paid to evaluate. I do. <laughs> Number right. one, not even being a jerk here, but like, that's the kid you want to have. Because when he's six foot five at 17 years old, he has a chance to throw 90 miles an hour. And your 5'8 son at that same age ain't going to be doing it unless he's a super outlier. And I think that we miss that because we get so caught up in like, I want to win. I want to have the best team. And we also have this culture where the best players migrate to the same team and build these super teams. Like even within the little league, we're like, we wanted, I wanted to play against my best friends. Like when I was in little league, I wanted to beat, I want to be in my own team. I want to be the big dog and I wanted to beat them, you know, and we don't have that mentality any longer. It feels like, like even internally, like we just, we try to build these teams and like insulate these guys from competition and challenges and it's so frustrating as a parent like because this is this is like honestly you hit one of my buttons here because it's something i've watched and i've watched it through like different lenses and how opportunities come for one kid or not another kid and how they're even treated by peers based on like sports and it's stupid it doesn't make any sense and i feel like you said we're missing so many of these kids that could be great players or good athletes or develop a little bit later 12, 13, 14, when people start to get more physically stronger, they start to grow a little bit. They hit puberty. And even before puberty, we're, we're, we're already throwing these guys into buckets or whatever and taking opportunities away from people. And as you said, what that leads to is we have guys with skills that aren't necessarily the best athletes. And I'm going to just go ahead and give, give you three examples of, of guys who I think are, who I know are exceptional athletes, who I don't want to say like their parents did the right things, right? You know, like one of them is the son of a former big leaguer and he went into pro ball out of high school and he's out of pro ball and he's 21 years old and he's an exceptional athlete. He's got bat speed, like 90% of pick a pro organizations minor league doesn't have. Right. But he didn't start playing more than 40 games in a year until he was 16 or 17 years old. And that's because his parent wanted him to enjoy the sport and didn't want to professionalize the kid at 16 or 17 years old. But what I found is that it's so important to have competitive at bats at a younger age that that becomes an advantage. So it's almost Mm -hmm. like we're rewarding. We're not rewarding. It's just, it is what it is. He's being rewarded for early sports specialization. And, And, you know, another example, Joe Lamusio who was at Brown and he was probably one of the best jumpers that I've ever tested. And it was with the, uh, NECBL all-star game back in 2019. We jumped them in a, on a blacktop basketball court behind the baseball field up in Montpelier where they were doing the all-star game. And it's like this dude's jumping almost 20 inches in the opti jump system on one leg repeatedly. Wow. And I'm just like, this is absolutely insane. And it's like, He's at Brown. He was a he was a decent player at Brown. He went to the Cape. He was a temp there. Like he played decently on the Cape. And then he went to Stanford as a grad transfer after the COVID year. And I think he's just I think he's out of baseball at this point. But it's like you're not going to save that kid at 22 years old because he's just not going to be able to get the competitive at bats while the brain is still developing. Mm. Right. Um, another example, and this is now what I'm dealing with here in Colorado, is like Colorado is like the Northeast and like the North where it's hard to get as many competitive at bats as kids who are in Texas and SoCal and in Florida and in the Southeast. Right. Sure. That's just a fact of the matter. So when a kid comes out of a Colorado high school, he can't necessarily go straight to a power five program in the current way that everything is set up because it's so competitive. You're not going to get on field as a freshman at a power five, unless you're an exceptional talent. And then by the time you're a sophomore, if you're not competing for that spot and you don't get that spot, then you're in the transfer portal. And then where are you going to end up? So it's almost like the ideal situation right now, if you're a highly talented player in a cold weather place, go somewhere you're going to play, perform as a freshman, be the best player on the team, hop in the portal and end up at a power five school. Cause we all know the power fives are all in the portal. And that's basically how Texas A&M built their roster last year. Right. But LSU this year, <laughs> LSU this year. Right. And um, the third example is Garrett Martin, 
who's now at Austin P as a senior. And he's the son of uh, one of the, the Slammers guys that I work with. And Garrett coming out of high school had an offer to be a hyper at university of Oregon. It's one of the top track and field schools in the country. Yeah. Right. Fantastic athlete. And I've tested him. He's, he's six, four, 220 pounds. And he's a load in nine. He can run, he can jump, he can do all of it. We know this cause he was a nine foot high jumper in, in high school. Okay. He went to McLennan, won a national championship as a freshman and performed in that lineup. And then COVID year, and then he ends up at Oklahoma State. He doesn't get on the field last year. You can look up the stats. I mean, he had probably less than 15 games. And then now he's a senior. He's 22 years old, and he's he's at Austin P. He's batting leadoff. He had four home runs in the first week of the season. And he's uh, he had over 10 balls in opening weekend, over 100 miles per hour off the bat. Like it's a really impressive athlete. It's an impressive body, and he's gonna have a year at Austin P at 22 years old, which you know, Jeff, from you know the the scouting community. At that point, it's like, okay, well, if we don't, if we're not all in on this kid at 22, then there's another 17 or 18 year old that can take that spot. You know, yeah. so I don't know. I just went down a huge rabbit hole tangent, whatever it is, but. The bottom line is, is that we need to give our athletes more opportunities at eight, nine, 10, 11 years old and, and their athletes. I mean, just, just everybody. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it's just something that's missing right now. And we don't do enough in terms of like focusing on skill development, just like as coaches and youth programs, especially in a game like baseball, where, you know, it's not, you know, I have sons that play football, basketball, baseball, and like, certain elements of basketball are very natural. Football is like a very natural sport. I feel like you kind of run, you jump, you block guys, you tackle, you rip flags, whatever it is at that age. And it's sort of just like innate, right? Like it's not, it's not like hitting a ball that's moving at you at a certain speed or a certain movement pattern with a little bat, right? Or catching a ball or throwing across the diamond. I think that's one of the biggest things that I notice is like, we have these guys, who's like, you know, we have them in the cage and do all these things. We never just working on like throwing technique, like because the biggest like, you know, where like the rubber meets the road and like separates the men from the boys, so to speak, is like you go up to the big diamond in like Babe Ruth, man. And if you can't get the ball from third base to first base, which, by the way, is like a 30 or 40 yard throwing football, like good luck, man. You know, like good luck. And where are you going to play? You know, you better have a great glove and, you know, be able to, to move fairly quick to play second base. Or just be able to stretch and catch everything at first, you know, like you got to be able to make those throws. We just don't work on stuff like that enough. So, yeah, I, I totally agree there. And it's a it's a good tangent. It's a tangent I go on probably like once a year. I went on a similar tangent with Tom House last year, sort of let's talking go. about everything and stuff. Yeah. Um, but here, let's, let's bring it back a little bit. Um, we kind of jumped ahead to that. But something I wanted to, you know, throw out to the listeners, so they, something as a takeaway is sort of like, we may not have the athletic testing in front of us, but we can watch games. We can watch athletes perform in a bunch of different sports. What are sort of the key traits to look for, you know, how you're identifying good movement patterns, twitch, some of those things. Yeah. I think at, at the very simplest, if you're a parent listening to this, it's really important. Uh, and obviously, you know, shameless plug for the loaded sports performance lab app, but like that your kid can jump. Because if your kid can jump and your kid can run, very two very basic things, those are things that are really, they set the foundation for what your athlete can become, right? So when your athlete's young, take advantage of your athlete being young, having a developing body and help accelerate those traits as much as you can during the development while they're growing, basically, right? Because as soon as they are physically mature, which happens in high school, some some earlier, some later, whatever it may be, any gains you're going to make in speed and your ability to jump and anything like that are going to be incredibly incremental. And a lot of it's going to be efficiency and technique, really. Uh, anyone can add strength. That's something that anyone can do once their body's physically mature, they can get in the weight room. Jeff, you or I could both get in there. And if, if we worked hard enough and, and we were on the right plans and we were working with the right people, we could squat 600 pounds. 
Okay, but when we're talking about elasticity, when you're talking about top end speed, when you're talking about the ability to jump, and those are the things that ultimately translate to throwing velocity, exit velocity, and not necessarily, okay, this guy hits the ball really hard and this guy throws really hard, but he does it easy. He makes it look effortless, right? Sure. Elijah Green, when he makes contact with a with a baseball, okay, let's use Mike Trout because everyone can watch video on Mike Trout right now. Like, it's effortless. There's no effort. It's Jacob DeGrom throwing a baseball, right? And then the guys who throw really hard with effort, most of them end up in the bullpen, right? And most of the guys who hit the ball really hard with effort swing and miss a lot, right? So I think at the very simplest, like I said, jump high, run fast, do it a lot at a young age and make sure you're not running your kid into the ground because playing a competitive season 12 months out of the year, like attrition is a real thing. It doesn't matter what age your athlete is being in competition takes a toll on the body. So yeah. yeah. (laughs) And I think, I think we see a lot of that too, where there's the year round sort of element of like playing all these different sports. Like, you know, I know my dad got lost in that a little bit with like me and hockey. We're like, you want to be playing hockey like 12 months a year, you know? And uh, in some ways it was good. Like it prepared me for, like high level high school hockey in Massachusetts, like playing for a fairly good team. I played all four years in varsity and like started, we were, you know, really competitive, really good. Um, but I think there were other elements that I had. I like stuck with like basketball a little bit longer, you know, it, it, maybe I'm a better baseball player. Like maybe I'm even a faster skater in hockey. Like there's just other parts of it that I didn't think about because he had me in the weight room doing things like that. When really like I should have been running, I should have been jumping. I should have been doing some of those things. Uh, but this is the nineties and we, we kind of didn't know any better, but now, you know, we right. have information and data that we didn't have then. So there you go. But I want to sort of like round it out here at the end. Um, you test high school athletes, you're testing, testing college athletes, you test professional athletes on the baseball side. I wanted to talk about some affiliated players to watch because the season's starting up. We got spring training going, minors are going to start. And I'm technically on the pro side here at Baseball America, not in the college side as much as I do go to the Cape and like to dabble in the draft. So talk to me. You got, I think, eight names here. Um, talk me through some of these different players that you have listed. A few of them. Actually, I think the first three names you have here, I all saw on the Cape in 2021. Yeah. Uh, would love to. Right. So this is this is kind of the fun part and this is where it all started. So it's very natural that this is how we conclude um out so number one who's not currently on on this list right but we did talk about him before i I do want to shout out johnny deluca one more time shouted him out last year let's call him out again yes let's do it johnny deluca is going to get some big league opportunities hopefully this summer and hopefully he's going to uh not look back and johnny deluca is going to be a household name for the Los Angeles Dodgers. It's, that's a little uh, little prediction there for you, but you know I love Johnny DeLuca. 5'11", 190, 200 pounds, whatever it is. But, man, that guy's just different. It's loud tools, and it really showed up in a big way last year, like you know. Um, let's look at a couple guys who are around a little bit. Here's one that I think is really fun, um, who I was – I actually made this recommendation – uh, back in 2020, uh, five round draft, and he was like a 23, or I think he was 22 or 23 years old at Southeast Missouri State. Justin Durden. Mm-hmm. Uh, Justin Durden has already homered twice in big league spring training, and we're on the second day of spring training. Um, he had a massive double A last year, just extra base hits like you wouldn't believe. I think half of his hits at one point, uh, when he got called up to triple A, on the year where extra base hits. Um, so big time athlete who had some unluck with injuries and ended up in that 2020 draft. He signed for 20 K with the Astros and he's knocking on the door to the big leagues. So uh, Justin Durden named to look out for there. Uh, one that was injured last year. And I know that he, he was a little bit of a name when he was in college out of Western Michigan, Blake Dunn. Really interested to see what he can do when he's healthy this year uh, in the Cincinnati Red system. Um, 
Spencer Jones was a first round pick. So it's kind of hard to say like, Hey, watch for Spencer Jones, but watch for Spencer Jones to ascend like James Wood ascended last year. Um, like Jordan Walker ascended over the past two years. I think Spencer Jones's tools are huge. I think he's more of a hitter than people gave him credit for. And I think that combination is going to be uh, very rewarding for the New York Yankees. Um, this is a fun one because uh, there were a lot of catchers that went ahead of this catcher in last year's draft. Another Cincinnati Red, Cade Hunter, the the son of Scott Hunter, scouting director for the Mariners. Um, yep. Cade Hunter, look at his Virginia Tech stats. Uh, I can tell you we, we tested him with U.S. baseball years ago at a um, Southeast Collegiate Showcase, uh, and he was one of the best athletes there. So he's a catcher with impact tools and he can run. Um, I think he could be a lot of fun. Um, Colby Thomas at Mercer. Yeah, he was at an East Coast Pro tryout way back in the day and was a top top end and a top end jumper. Um, so not a guy that was really a big deal in high school. Obviously, he ended up at Mercer, which is on a power five. Uh, still a really good baseball school, no doubt. Um, and his numbers last year were also silly. So that's another one, I think, third round to the Oakland A's that I'm really yeah. excited about this year. Yeah, um, and then on the pitching side, uh, Brock Porter. Yeah, I think Brock Porter, not like a new name to anybody. That's, you know, he threw hard in high school, but I think it's, that's like a, a real good combination of, plus athlete and uh, plus size, and he's got an ability to pitch. So I think, you know, where he went in the draft, he was probably more of a first-rounder. He got paid first-round money. Yep. Um, And then the other guy that was in that draft who needed Tommy John, who I'm a huge believer in, is uh, Cole Phillips. Um, So – Cole Phillips, hopefully he gets right soon and and we can see it in action. But that's another one who, again, was an exceptional athlete and uh, threw hard. And I think that 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 juice is real. So, um, yeah. And the, and the Braves have done a good job of identifying some sort of underrated athletes on sort of both sides of the ball with the pitching and hitting over the last couple of years, particularly in the prep class. So that's one to trust in. And I, I love some of these names like – it's funny. Colby Thomas is a player that really stuck out to me on the Cape. Um, can hit, can run, can play, you know, can defend. And I can remember him making a throw from center field at Bourne and like hitting the catcher on a line. And it was like one, it was one of the best outfield assists at like home plate throws that I've seen other than like Matt Gorski, who I know is another guy that you like quite a bit. Um, but I think it sort of, sort of shows like how a lot of those, measurements kind of correlate to tools when you go and watch these guys you'll see the loud tools and they have a lot of these abilities justin durden i actually he's in the astros top 10 i just put out a podcast this morning actually when we released this um going through the astros top 10 i didn't get a chance to talk about in the podcast about durden he's probably one of my favorite players in that system if not my favorite player in that system and it's funny you know doing the reporting talking to folks internally with the astros like, I don't even think he realized how good of an athlete he was until they started sharing some of the data with him. And I think they're heavy into force plates, so some of it was the force plate stuff. But, like, he started to believe in himself, and that's sort of when things really started to take off. And there's probably very few organizations that develop skill among athletes like the Astros do. Like they, That's why they consistently find these guys that are sort of underrated in the draft, aren't really appreciated as prospects, and then – all of a sudden David Hensley's getting major at bats, you know, in the world series. It's like Durden's kind of that next guy, right? Same signing scout, et cetera. Um, so, you know, it's, it's one of those things. Like sometimes you, you just, you got to look at the athleticism. I think it's a bigger part of baseball than people recognize. Um, and that's really what you should take away. I, I hope from this podcast. So as we wrap up here, Matt, sort of any closing thoughts, any sort of, you know, final plugs, whatever it is you want to throw out there, man, please do. Yeah, I think it's super exciting to talk about athleticism. I think it's super exciting to talk about it in the context of baseball. Um, I think it's really important, as excited as I was about athleticism for the past 50 minutes, that it's not a magic bullet. 
but it is, it's a great compass um, in terms of pointing, pointing you in the direction of tools. Right. So we talked about the examples, you know, specifically Joe Lamusio, who, you know, he had a lot of success as a high level baseball player. You know, th there's no doubt about that. Like he went, he played at Brown, he played there, he played on the Cape, he had success on the Cape, right. Just cause he didn't get into professional baseball doesn't mean that he didn't have a lot of success in baseball. But the bottom line is, is that athleticism is really important. It should be harnessed at a young age, but it's, it's not, it's not going to tell you necessarily like, okay, this guy is going to be a big league all-star. It's the combination of high level athleticism and a high level of being able to play the game. And I think if there's one thing that I really want to say to kind of bring it all in, is just look like, these kids, when they're getting evaluated to go into professional baseball or to play at the highest level of college baseball, they should be put under the microscope for their skill in the sport, their ability to hit, their ability to throw strikes and, and really be nitpicked because it's, that's a high level of competition, but that's not how we should be evaluating our developing athletes under the age of 15. We should just be looking at them all as, okay, you're really good at this sport that's great if you're not you're getting the same opportunity as the kid who is really good at this sport at 14 if that makes sense so yeah um, yeah i mean I, I think that that holds true not just for baseball but for every sport yeah yeah i think it's you know one of the reasons that you can see some of these guys that are great athletes that once they finally get some run they're in the right program I remember watching like the shaquille o'neal documentary on hbo which i thought was pretty good and i didn't really realize like how much he struggled sort of between like 12 and 16 like with his body with his size like kind of learning the game learning the skills like he was a physical presence you know and played but was still sort of refining who he was and then you know like it's crazy for me to look at that because i was a little kid when, when we're not a little kid but like 10 11 years old when Shaq first broke into nba this guy was like, you know, one of the most physical dominant superstars of my lifetime in really any sport. And this is a guy that like was getting made fun of when he was playing in Germany on, you know, a military base because uh, his father was his or stepfather was in the military. And like you go back and think like two years later, he built up those skills. He played. He got some opportunity. He got an opportunity to fail, which I, I think isn't such a bad thing all the time. And then, you know, by the time he was in high school, was a senior in high school in Texas, he was one of the most dominant players in the country, goes to LSU, and you guys know the rest of the story. So I think it's it's like it could even be outliers like that. Like we hear about that all the time. So just getting those opportunities, getting those reps are important. Do whatever you can to, to obviously get those. Matt, I want to thank you again for coming on. This was wonderful. I think really informative. I hope everybody got something out of it. This is Jeff Ponce, Baseball America, the 90th percentile. Catch you again. Thanks, Jeff.